thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges, and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Ed here, Digital Voices. Thank you for listening. I know you have a lot of different choices of different things you could be doing while you're running or jogging or walking or driving, whatever you might be doing right now. And you've chosen to listen to Digital Voices. And I thank you. And the reason that I appreciate listening myself to Digital Voices, we have fantastic guests like Dr. Julie Risch. Julie, welcome to Digital Voices. Thank you so much for having me, Ed. So I've said this before, but I'll say it again. The thrill is that I didn't realize I had so many people like I genuinely like and I got to serve with. And Julie, you're one of them. You were that person when I had to go to a meeting, you know, no matter where you are, you don't necessarily want to go to meetings, no matter how great of an organization you might serve in. But whenever I saw you in a meeting, I just sort of lit up because I was like, all right, it's going to, the world is good. It's going to be good because we've got really good humans in the room and we're going to solve challenges. So I've really appreciated you. And I think that's where we first met was really at the Cleveland Clinic, uh, maybe 2018 or so, um, or 2017. And and I've, I've really enjoyed uh, getting to know you and interacting with you and, and just following you even after I left the clinic. So, yeah, uh, that's good. I think that's a good tee up. So, uh, Julie, the first thing people want to know is what's on your playlist? Ooh, such a great question. Uh, I love all different kinds of music. So I love from... Brandy Carlisle to Imogen Heap to Tupac and Eminem to Bonnie Raitt to Fleetwood Mac. Uh, so I I am eclectic in my musical taste. So any one of those albums I will listen to through and through. Oh, that's awesome. And what about your life message or mantra? Are there words that you sort of live by? There are. I like to live life with, you know, integrity, honesty, authenticity, you know, I often think a lot about like, how am I engaging in purposeful work that drives meaningful impacts and that allows you know me hopefully to lift other people up? And those are the things that I try to live by. Yeah. Well, I can tell you as someone who served with you and as your friend that I think you're doing a pretty good job on, on all those. So you're, you're such an interesting person because we're going to talk a little bit about sort of your foundation in patient experience and helping lead that and developing tools for that. And then sort of your your transition into human-centered design and just the connectedness of all that. I'm, I'm dying. I've been looking so forward to, to hear to doing this with you to learn. Uh, but before we get there, share a little bit about your story, you know, personal and professional, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, no, I, I think my fascination with human behavior started early on, right? So I grew up on a farm. My parents were entrepreneurs. You know, I was a plumber's daughter in a community of, you know, my community became plumbers, but also the community of physicians and educators that I was surrounded by. And it just exposed me to a lot of really interesting people and perspectives. And I learned a lot from that. Um, I also think like, just like my parents' experience, right? Like seeing them struggle, seeing them make sacrifices, seeing them work hard and succeed, while maintaining who they were as people was incredibly impactful, right? So maintaining that they're still authentic, they're still loving, they're still incredibly generous and hardworking, even in the toughest of times, like it just really compelled me to, um, you know, ask a lot of questions and to be curious about what drives people, right? What makes them 
behave in the way that they do and make the choices that they do. And that led me to my professional path of becoming a clinical psychologist. And I spent, you know, many years, and I still do, helping people navigate complex behavioral changes. And that's fascinating work, right? People are trying to create a path to better health and wellness. And it's hard and it's um, complicated and emotional. And to be a part of that journey with someone is really rewarding. Um, And through that, like I also got really interested in, okay, how do we talk to patients, right? How do we communicate and motivate each other (laughs) to get on that path towards wellness? And so that led me to get really interested and more and more involved in how we teach and direct communication skills training. And ultimately that led me to patient experience, right? That we can have a bigger impact if we can focus on, right, what's the next generation? What do what are, what's our culture and how are we communicating that culture? And then how are we going to design services based on what we've understood about people? Um, and so it's been a fun journey and, uh, and I've learned a lot, right? I've stayed very yeah. humble. Um, I've learned a lot and I've pushed myself a lot. That's cool. Where was the farm located? Like what state? In Southern Ohio. So it's okay. Southern Ohio, you know, bees, chickens, cattle. Yeah few horses. So you're def- definitely an Ohioan. Ohioan. And, and then what about, um, where did you get your PhD? So I did all of my training in California. So I went oh. to, you know, undergrad in Northern California and then Loma Linda University in Southern California is where I got my PhD. That's so I cool. came full circle right back to the Midwest. Yeah. I, and, good, and for good reasons. Um, <laughs> So do you, I always wanted to ask a clinical psychologist this. So when you meet like, uh, oh, there's this guy named Ed Marks, he's our CIO or other people come in the room. Are you like uh, doing this quick analysis? Like hmm, <laughs> that person is, uh, you know, di- you're diagnosing us or something. Do you, do you ever find yourself slipping into that? I try. No, I honestly like I'm usually just curious about people. And so not as a diagnostic tactic, but as a human being, I am curious about other people and their perspectives. So I I think I do more of that versus go down the path of clinical care and at at a party. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I never had the sense that you were doing that, but I always wonder, it's like, you know, they're thinking, oh, he, you know, he's got this or he's that. And um, no, but uh, I always like really curious about that. So you've your role and you actually talked about a little bit as you were telling your story about how you got to where you are today. Your role has transformed itself. We're responding to requests. We're an exploration of what people value as essential, right, to understanding what's the optimal solution. And the work really started in my former position as an associate chief experience officer, right, where we were focusing that design effort on experience. And, you know, as we dug deeper and deeper and as we got closer and closer to those stakeholders, that understanding amplified, but it also allowed us, right, to create solutions that actually mattered. Um, And that's when we started to think, well, this is really about how we transform the system. And, And that is why I landed where I am, is how do we apply the same strategy and methodology to our transformation and strategy efforts? You know, what I always found interesting and and one of the things that drew me to the clinic, very forward thinking. And a lot of times, you know, patient experience before patient experience was a thing. 
and uh, caregiver experience before caregiver experience, you know, was adopted broadly. And human-centered design, I've been all over it for just because my profession and the things that I care about and as, you know, chief digital officer in my past, things like that. But that's fairly new to healthcare. It's pretty forward thinking to have a title as such or someone leading that. How did that come about? Where, you know, were you part of that process and you're all thinking about, hey, what's the next, what's next? Or just how did, how did you all come about it and go with, go with it? So, Great question. And, you know, I think it continues to evolve in healthcare. We definitely see great human-centered design and industry and product development in, in, in your world. Um, but in healthcare, I would say it's it's newer and yet people are diving in. Um, and and yeah. healthcare and payer, provider, venture capitalist, technology spaces, consultancy spaces. And for us, I think it was trying to, uh, it started with like, how are we partnering with patients? And then you were one of those early adopters. Like that was one of my early memories of working with you is you were a hundred percent on board. Like we absolutely have to design technology solutions with patients. And that was part of our early work is how are we going to create the infrastructure, the culture around pulling patients and working side by side, um, in the work. And, um, honestly, people like you propelling that work forward taught us that we have to continue to dig deeper into this, right? And, and that that led us to researching and understanding that there are actually more methodologies. Like we can go even deeper in understanding the human experience. And by using the methodology of human-centered design, um, we've been able to do that, which is really exciting. Yeah. No, I, I want to jump. I'm going to jump into that in a second. But one more question just on that transition. Uh, as an industry, again, pretty forward thinking and leading a lot of this uh, globally. Um, how has the industry in general transitioned? Because we've been talking patient experience for a long time. And maybe back in the day when I first started, it was called something different, but it was essentially patient experience. Do you think we've moved the needle en- enough or is there still a long ways to go? And and then what are some tips and tricks to help organizations if we need to move it you know, faster? Yes. So I think as an organization thinking a lot about patient experience in the broader context, right? It is about experience, creating an exceptional experience in as well as a high quality, affordable, high value experience and, and a safe experience. And so I think it is still at the forefront. That is what we're trying to achieve and for our patients. And I think that will always be the case. And and you're right, like we have evolved in how intimately we do that and how we design it with the patients and in, including yeah. them in that work. And I think the tips, like to me, like if you want to create an exceptional healthcare experience, you have to know what that ideal experience is mm-hmm. from those end users. And the only way you're going to do that is by being methodical about how you utilize that empathy to gain an in-depth understanding. And I think you can do that, right? Some of the easier, maybe structured tips would be listen, right? Just listen to what people and patients are telling you. Invite them in, right? Allow them to work with you. Allow them to inform each aspect of what you're doing and then make decisions based on their priorities um, versus what are our priorities or some intersection of that. Yeah. Yeah, talking about it, it seems very natural, but as we know, 
not all our organizations do that. And I think there's more to your point, there's more awareness today than in the past because of what's happening in other industries. Uh, but yeah, those are certainly two or three great tips that anyone can use. So let's, let's shift now to human centered design. Cause it's like one of my favorite, uh, topics. And, uh, can you explain for the average person that maybe has heard the term, but, uh, but from your point of view, you know, if someone said, what is human centered design and its applicability to healthcare, how would you answer that? I would say human centered design is an innovation method methodology. And it is a structured approach to problem solving, identification, and reimagining that starts with a deep understanding of the needs, the behaviors, and the motivations of people. And then you follow like very specific methodology tactics. Um, but at a high level, what you're doing is you're starting with empathy. You are understanding someone's story. You're following those emotions. Based on that, you're defining what the opportunities are. Based on that definition, you begin to ideate what are the ways we could start to solve for this. And then prototype with a very low resolution goal, right? You want to just put it back in front of the end user and say, what do you think of this? And you're testing with curiosity and willingness to iterate. And I think what that process and those methods do is it uncovers what is often hidden, right? The, the latent values, drivers, motivators of people. And in healthcare, I think it's so critical that we are able to unlock that understanding, right? It's the right thing to do. People expect good care. They deserve good care. And yet our healthcare systems have lots of unnecessary suffering, um, and people are driven by their emotions and their experiences. And it's incumbent on us to understand those drivers, right? And then to design a more inclusive, empathic system. So this part, this last minute of our conversation, I'm gonna, I know I'm going to be rewinding about 30 different times uh, as I re-listen, because that was just gold. That, that is so good. Uh, and, and I love, and it's not surprising coming from you and also uh, to the clinic and its heritage, but the whole concept of empathy uh, that you weaved into your your answer a couple of times, and we'll talk about that in a minute because I, I want to I want to get there as well. Uh, with so much focus on tech, though, what are design principles to maintain? So, how do you sort of balance the two? Yeah, it's a great it, it's a great question to ask, and I would say, like over the years, with our patients, with people with working with you and others, as well as learning from internal and external colleagues, like we have learned that we must create, right? And we must engage diverse perspectives. It has to be inclusive. Whatever we design has to add value. It has to be responsive to individuality. It has to be easy to use, create efficiencies. Um, it needs to be accessible, it needs to be rooted in empirical research, right? We need to be able to demonstrate that it has an outcome. And then it has to protect privacy and really enable and foster trust. And I think if you think about, if we can align on, this is how we are going to approach our technology builds. Um, that's the most important first step, right? Then we can follow yeah. a process that enables us to do that. Yeah. Again, now it's going to be the last two, three minutes of the program. That's that I'm going to be going back and forth. This is this is really good stuff because that often happens. That's a that's a dilemma. You know, I was dealing. I was creating this uh, great new product, virtual care, and 
you know, it was like the design versus the tech, but the two can come together in this beautiful sort of tapestry that you were describing. And it's really important. Um, how does how does human centered design aid in having a full understanding of diverse perspectives? Because you mentioned it's got to be accessible. It's got to be uh, easy to use for everyone. Uh, it's the you know diversity and those sort of things. How, how do you how do you help ensure that full understanding? Yeah. I think it. I think human-centered design does this better than any other methodology. And I think it's that intentional focus on have we identified, have we listened, have we engaged in inclusive design? And I think just very, like, from a method standpoint or a stepwise standpoint, like, the first process is let's just look at what what we see in our own data. Who's choosing our care? And then think about who could be choosing our care and isn't. And then identify Mm -hmm all those potential end users who may, may not, and we may want to interact with what we're trying to design and then pull them into the work, right? So, and and I think that deliberate and constant striving for diverse perspectives, right? With intentionality, we want to learn and we will only do that if we can continue to dig deeper and get a a better and better understanding. Um, And then respond to that, right? Really listen and allow that to inform what we do um, at the very beginning of projects, right? It's more efficient if we do that at the start and we're as inclusive in the beginning um, than trying to retrofit something after the fact. And I think design the process of design so well. Yeah, no, it's, I, I, I think you're right on. So, Let's talk a little bit about empathy. Uh, I can't think of anyone better to ask this question to. So is empathy caught or taught or is it both? I love that question. (laughs) I think it's both. Um, So I think some people are inherently more empathic, right? You see it on them um, more than others. And I think especially in certain professions, right? Because we're drawn. We're drawn to a helping profession and that's part of our purpose in life. Uh, And yet, I believe communication is a life skill, right? It is something that we can always continue to hone and evolve. And right with some specific tactics like coaching, practicing. But I absolutely believe that we can teach people to convey and communicate empathy more. I also think it's interesting that sometimes when we've taught communication, like we will hear like that it, there's a difference between someone's intention and the perception, right? So that people feel really empathic. They feel like they're being really empathic. And yet what they've said or how they've communicated that empathy didn't land in the way they intended. So sometimes like what you're doing is unlocking just how they show it, right? How do I convey right. that empathy? How do I communicate it? Because the person doesn't necessarily know it if you don't say it. Yeah, that's really good. Sorry, the reason that there's a slight pause at my end is I'm taking notes myself. This is really good stuff. Um, can you share a story of how empathy had an impact? So, sort of general, could go in multiple directions. But you know, someone might say, a skeptic might say, "Well, you don't have to be empathy. You know, I'm empathetic. You know, as long as we just you know heal them and they're gone. You know, uh, can you share a story how empathy works?" I can. I- I love that you asked that way. And, and I love what you just said, because one of the things that we're, I will tell students is that empathy is an intervention in and of itself, right? Mm-hmm. To show up and to convey empathy is an intervention and it is valued by the patient. And 
and I think sometimes that's that's hard for the helping professions, right? You want to fix something, you you want to yeah. prescribe something. Sometimes your presence is powerful in and of itself. And so I will share an example. So we were working on a project where we were looking at one of our regional hospitals and we we're trying to understand like how could we do better um, from an experience standpoint? And so our scores showed, right, that there were opportunities. And so we said, well, let's take a slightly different approach. We have the surveys, but let's apply our human-centered design methodology to this. And so we conducted in-depth, in-person interviews in one of the the neighbors of um, our Cleveland hospital. And one of the people that we met was a woman and she had us you know, it was a lovely day. So we sat out on her front porch and we talked to her for, you know, a few hours. And, you know, she she described her life. She described her interaction with the healthcare system. She talked about how she'd recently retired. She'd been in a, you know, a healthcare profession for many, many years. She was helping a friend, offering a room. She was, you know, she talked about her interaction with the health system. And it became pretty clear to us that, you know, she was going through the motions, right? She was going to her appointments. She saw her family when she could. She called the grandkids. And towards the end of that interview, we thought to ask her, tell us a little bit about your emotional health. And she really Mm. candidly opened up and shared feeling a little emotional. And she started to cry. And she went on to share how her partner of many years had died suddenly and how, you know, he went into the hospital and he never came out. And this burden she carried Mm. with her about not getting to say goodbye and that being the last moment. And it was a real aha moment for us that that was her struggle, that she was overcome with this grief that cast this shadow on her life. And although she had positive interactions with healthcare, she was struggling and it wasn't addressed. And, you know, it was just, it was so important for us in that the insight of like, as a healthcare provider, we have to uncover these aspects of people's lives and we have to show up for them. And in that moment, you know, we were able to offer her, right. We were able to listen. We were able to offer empathy. We were able to build trust and convey how much we cared. Um, And it also highlighted an opportunity that here's someone struggling. This is casting a shadow on their life and she's open, right? She's open to our care. She just doesn't have the inertia to pursue it. And, and we can do that, right? We can do a better job of reaching out and pulling people into care. Yeah, that's good. Uh, That's powerful. Um, How critical do you think empathy is? for a leader in an organization, kind of a leading question. I mean, obviously uh, mm-hmm. being an expert at it, yeah, you th- you're going to think it's pretty important, but let's just say there's a skeptical person listening and they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's, that sounds good. Um, but you know, how, how critical is it in your, you know, if you were suddenly uh, they made you president of Cleveland clinic, uh, London or something, you know, uh, Abu Dhabi, uh, you know, why would you think that this is a critical component? I think it's our key to unlocking values, motivators, and, and drivers of people's behavior. And, and I would say that we can't successfully lead without understanding the experiences of the people that we're relying on to do the work. Um, and so to me, engaging in understanding and using empathy to do that 
it really unlocks the individual motivation of our team. And if we know this, right, we can guide them to contribute in a way that's most impactful for them and to the organization. So I think it's, it's, it is key and it is essential for us to be optimally successful. Yeah, no, that's very well put. I want to shift here to one other area. I, I, we could park on any of these areas, Julie, and you know, we could spend the whole day together for sure talking about this stuff. Um, so let's talk about communication skills really quick. What are the easiest skills for leaders to adopt? So let's just take the average leader. Uh, you know, what, what are some skills that would be easy for them to adopt to kind of take them to next level? I'd say the tactics of listening are easier. So when I, when I say that, I think of like surveys, listening tours, setting up meetings, um, trying to get to know your team. And like, and with that caveat that, right, it's easier to throw a tactic at a problem. And yet the hardest <laughs> skill is to have the courage to take that information and, and make culture change. Um, so, but if you can do the tactic, right, if you can listen, and then if you can have the presence to hear what's being communicated and create a safe space um, for others to be candid and to share their needs, I think that is your first step to success. All right. So conversely, what seems to be the <laughs> hardest skill that the average leader has when adopt, trying to adopt? Yeah, I alluded to it. I, I think the hard work is being willing to respond to what you hear. Right. So nothing's worse than someone asking for your feedback. You give it and nothing happens. And so <laughs> I think that's the work that needs to be done. It's like we we invite our patients, we invite our employees, we invite, you know, people into that work. And then we have to really be a good partner. We have to work side by side. We have to respond to what they've contributed. And, and that's yeah. the hard work. Yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah, we've all been there and probably done it. I've, I have for sure. So I'm going to try to ask one question that weaves in sort of these three broad areas we spoke about. What you know, uh, when we think about human-centered design, when we think about empathy and communication skills, is there any connection between this experience mindset, empathy, and communication skills? Brilliant question. A hundred percent connection. So as I look at that, I say empathy unlocks our understanding. Communication allows us to convey our understanding, right? To the people we serve, the people we hope to serve, the leaders who are making the decisions. And I love your piece around experience mindset. I, I think that's the piece that compels you to design with the understanding of both, right? And in, in each of those you know, stakeholders. So I think they're woven together. Yeah. That, yeah. That's why I love your whole journey and your whole career and sort of the, the uh, transformation uh, thereof and how you've brought all those different things together. Uh, one question I love to ask great leaders like yourself is uh, how do you recharge your batteries and remain fresh? Obviously, you're like doing so many amazing things. You were just at him speaking at the patient experience forum. Um, how do you just recharge, you know, and, and avoid the burnout that we often talk about? Uh some days it's easier than other days, I would say. But for me, um, I, I spend time with my kids and my family. I love sports. I love to be outside. I, I actually love like physical labor. So um, like as a hobby that I sometimes like and sometimes don't like, I renovate homes. Um, but I, 
any of those things, like working hard, yeah. being physical, being outside, spending time with family, all of those things are refreshing for me. That's cool. And that, that harkens back to, I think to the way you probably raised on a farm and That's being great. outdoors and having, I imagine you work, you work pretty hard. So, wow. We talked about so many cool things. Um, you know, you, you mentioned you, you drop these little things here and there that people really will be um, drawn to. And that's the culture. You, you know, we talk a lot of tactics and stuff, but it comes down to culture. It comes down to empathy. Talked about that a lot. Curiosity, iteration, intervention, uh, unlocking motivation, uh, creating safe spaces, weaving these different things together. I mean, I just took so many notes. Um, but we may have missed something or is there anything you want to double down on? But I, I leave the last word to you, Julie. Well, I would agree with you. This has been a fantastic and fun conversation, as is all of my conversations with you, Ed. Um, I, I want to turn it on you, Ed, because you continue to have an incredible career. And I'm curious, like, what excites you most about the future? So, you know, for me, it's all about saving lives. Like, how do we leverage technology to save lives? And I'm, I'm with you on this human-centered design thing, you know, I, I caught it. I probably learned it from you and others at the clinic. And I just rolled with it and, and learned more about it. And I really think it is a key to unlocking, you know, um, the greater understanding about the people whom we serve, both the clinicians and patients. And, you know, as we, as you call them caregivers. Um, so everyone who works in the ecosystem and, you know, thereby driving better solutions to, for better outcomes. So that I love that the whole AI thing is pretty trippy for me. Uh, like it's like the internet just got invented, you know, uh, wow, what's <laughs> out there. Um, so, you know, with the whole chat st stuff. So, um, so that's, I think dangerous, but also exciting at the same time. So that that's pretty, and I'm always thinking, how can we use it to save people's lives? How can you use it to, for empathy? How do you create empathy in, in those models? So I'm, I'm pretty excited about those sort of things. I love but that. Julie, this has been amazing. Uh, thank you so much for, for being our guest. You're so insightful and you're such a humble person. And um, you're just one of those people that, you know, uh, draw other people to them. So thanks for being our guest on Digital Voices. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, that wraps up Dizzle Voices. I know you'll be like me. You'll be going back to this episode time and time again and, and re-listen to some of those answers. There's so much gold uh, in what Julie dropped on us. So uh, again, thanks for listening. We know you have a choice. And thank you, DJ Megan, for excellent producing. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.